to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with technology leaders and some of the most innovative minds in the industry to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they foresee for the future. No topic is off limits, so sit back, relax, and maybe take notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. As we move further into the fourth industrial revolution, the technology that is coming around the corner is sure to continue to reshape the way we live and work. Toby Eduardo Redshaw is one of the folks who believe that is true. And as the SVP of Enterprise Innovation and 5G Solutions at Verizon, he's had a front row seat to some of the exciting technological innovations that will soon be widespread. Toby believes that we are in the middle of a critical time of change, experimentation, innovation, and advancement. On this two-part episode of Future of Tech, he takes us through some of the areas that he sees as ripe to make the biggest impact on our lives and work moving forward. From IoT to next-gen cloud computing to AI and 5G, there are big shifts happening in the tech industry. And Toby shares that we will be seeing quite a lot of exciting digital transformations in the years to come. What is ahead for smart AI at the edge? How will AR and VR begin to help people with on-the-spot, real-time field training and assistance? Toby answers all of that and more here on part one. Enjoy. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So, hi, Toby. How are you? And I'd like to welcome you to uh, a new episode of uh, Future of Tech. We have plenty of topics to talk, and I hope that uh, time will allow us to touch all of them. So, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. And, and you know, before we start, maybe a few words about what's your current role at uh, Verizon and, and what are you uh, dealing with? So I run uh, a group called Enterprise Innovation and 5G Solutions. So it's really three or four things, but it mostly boils down to sort of the pragmatic innovation work of working with customers, either in their innovation centers or our uh, 5G labs to really experiment and innovate around 5G and what Edge can do, right? To really make that real, to make it have real, uh, a real impact. So working across, you know, lots of different verticals, um, super busy, uh, but, but fun, uh, engaging, engaging work. You mentioned the fact that you are doing a lot of innovation. So innovation has many, you know, many faces and have many, and, and many people see it differently. How do you define innovation? So innovation for me, it's really, it's two Latin words that got stuck together that simply means make new stuff, right? So whether that's a, a new process or a new artifact or a new model or a new technology, it's that work. And I'm a big believer, I don't think there's any right or wrong definition of innovation, but I'm a big believer in pragmatism meets innovation, right? The when you've done it, what's the real impact that you've done? Uh, in the business world, that's have I done clever things for the operational cost structure and I, have I helped you 
on the revenue and the customer engagement side, right? I think it's uh, I think it's that simple. If it's just cool and shiny and flashy, I mean that's nice, and sometimes you need to do those kind of experiments. But what we're trying to do is make new things with real impact, and I and I think honestly it's the it's the best time I've ever seen in tech uh, for that. Great. So. When you speak obviously about innovation, you speak about technology, it has a very solid ground of technology rooted into it and, and being part of it. So in what shape and form technology plays in, in your eyes in today's world? So look, I think we're, we're at a unique time. I've been doing this for, for a long time and I've never seen as much change and opportunity all at one time, right? Business model Uh, thinking a business model changes, you know, B2B is trying to be B2B to C. Asset intensive businesses are trying to be service businesses. Uh, The whole idea of trust and customer engagement uh, is changing. But on top of that, if you go just into the next two or three years, five huge changes from technology, right? Whether you look at it from an impact, value, uh, utility, or footprint perspective, AI, big data, IoT, AR, VR, the whole XR uh, world, next-gen cloud, married together with 5G are going to change more in the next two or three years than they have in the last, uh, in the last 10. This is fascinating, and we'll probably uh, go one by one, but maybe before we go deeper, let's go a bit to the past. So how, how did it all start for you? you know, how did you first start your journey um, as a youngster when it came to uh, technology? So I, I came to America in 1979. I went to a wonderful state school uh, in Tennessee, uh, worked at night in a kitchen to pay, uh, uh, to pay my bills, and I took one computer course. And it was literally Fortran on cards, right? Which... I was actually a philosophy student and doing a lot of logic and I was a math geek as a kid. And I took one computer course and I really realized, wow, Fortran is awful on cards, never ever wanna do that, never gonna make my, uh, make my living doing that stuff. But sort of the meta level of that, this is going to be huge. And so, and then I got really, really lucky. I went back to Mexico, worked for a while, came back uh, and I just by, a connection ended up going to FedEx at the start of uh, the international business where we were growing uh, uh, growing that business. And, and two things about FedEx, they didn't care how old you were. There was no age bias in that company whatsoever. Me as a young kid, they would let me just do all kinds of crazy things. And then the second thing, super enlightened leadership that said, look, we are not a transportation logistics distribution company. We're a technology company that also does that. So it was the deep, deep marriage of technology and pragmatic business thinking was the nature of that company. And I spent 17 years there. We grew the international side, 65% compound every year for 15 years. So I sort of had a startup experience, the best training of how super high service uh, and business thinking and technology married together. So uh, the short answer is very, very lucky. Very interesting. And in FedEx, have you worked with uh, technology on an ongoing basis or was it just a uh, means to an end? 
No, no. I mean, it was, um, we actually didn't think about it as a totally separate thing, right? It was integral to the business. So I ran customer automation outside of the US. I was a CIO of a 53 country uh, region, but I also always had business things uh, under my sort of under my umbrella. So it, you didn't have what you back then had in lots of companies that, you know, the IT people were down in the basement breaking things and miscommunicating with the business. We were one unit. It was a very, very smart uh, ahead of its time way to run a, uh, a company. Plus, we had a great strategy and a great product, which really helps. But yeah, so it was the marriage, the marriage of those two things and just a wonderful, uh, wonderful place to work. Spent 10 years in Asia, uh, Latin America, the U.S., and then I finally, uh, I finally quit and went to do a startup because I thought, uh, you know, that bubble in Silicon Valley was going to burst at some time. And I really wanted to be in there uh, doing that. So went there and did a startup and it blew up with the bubble. Uh, but a, a fantastic experience. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade for anything. Great. So now I'm going back to your uh, five driving forces that you believe are going to change on the industry in the next coming years. And let me touch the first, um, and, and not by other priority, but why did you pick up IoT? What's, what's the difference? We're hearing about IoT for many years. Um, what's, what, what do you feel that now IoT is going to change and, and, and be considered differently? So sort of three, three parts to the answer, right? I'm getting inbound confirmation uh, of, of what I'm thinking, which is always really helpful. People that build giant stadiums or office buildings or healthcare centers are calling us and saying, hey, we need to build next-gen technology into these buildings. Let's start working together on that, including 5G and IoT. We're going to sensorize the whole thing because if we don't, the rentability of the building a few years out is less. I've had big construction companies starting almost two years ago big construction companies call me and say, hey, we've got to go talk about 5G. And two years ago, I was like, well, how do you even know about 5G? And they said, when we went to the banks for financing for huge projects, one of their checklists are, are you putting modern technology into this building for the same reason? So there's that external thing. Second part of the answer is that, um, you know, at a high level, all of the talk that's coming out of the World uh, Economic Forum, you know, in Davos, uh, the fourth industrial uh, revolution. The fourth industrial revolution, pretty big statement, right? The last three industrial revolutions changed the earth. And these wise people backed up by Oxford and Stanford and some, uh, and some clever writings from you know, BCG and other folks saying, look, this is going to be as impactful as those last three. This is going to change the world. And their entire theory is... Those four technologies on the back of a software-defined, cloud-native, compute-at-the-edge, 1,000x better density for IoT, 10x better for battery life for IoT network, is going to create this flywheel effect. If you think about, to get to the, the, the third point, so I've got external confirmation that IoT is going to be big, uh, or it's really going to take off. I've got, it's embedded in the whole talk of fourth industrial revolution. And then, then here's the thing. The cost structure of doing things with IoT is going, to, going down tremendously uh, for three reasons. The, 
the actual cost structure of the sensors does this. The ability of 5G has two impacts. 5G manages a thousand better, uh, thousand X better density for IoT and 10X better battery life. That means the, the, the total available market for IoT, the cost structure goes in the right way. The second thing that, that 5G does, which most people haven't realized yet, is I can take a dumb $50 camera, send those pixels to the edge, get an answer back from a little ML platform in 30 milliseconds, and it can behave as if I've put IoT uh, into a device or into an element, whether that's a, a conveyor belt in a factory or a robot. I can sense changes, I can sense vibrations. So now you have synthetic IoT on top of that. And then here's the really big one. The cost structure for big data platforms is, a, is taking this year and next year the biggest leap forward it's ever taken, right? InQtel, which is the VC arm of the intelligence community in the United States, very, very good at, at technology analysis, and recently invested in a company and put out a press release that said, look, depending how good you are at big data, this thing is somewhere between five and a thousand X uh, more effective, more cost effective. Everything I do with IoT is really about big data, right? It's a little bit of logic, but some pattern matching. I want to take sensorized data and do clever things with it. The real value is in taking that, running basic, simple math ML against it and finding things that are proactive, preventative, pattern match, precise, proactive. So if the cost structure of big data is going down, Synthetic IoT and IoT are going, that cost structure is going down, becoming more manageable and pervasive tied to 5G. Out of those, uh, those five, and they all play together, I think you're going to see swarms of IoT capability coming out over the next few years. And that will have a reinforcing effect because you'll be able to do intelligent, proactive, precise things, and your competition won't, right? So, so I think that will, that will drive that a, a lot. I have a very, very exciting, a very exciting time. Very interesting. Definitely a differentiator since the last several years. You've also mentioned several times the need for a strong AI capability. And how do you see, you know, this entire domain being evolved or let's say uh, merging to address all the, uh, the new needs? So I think there's a lot of confusion about AI, right? People think, oh, it's really complicated. It's really difficult. I need genius PhD data scientists. And that, that was true five or six years ago. If you think about a factory or a healthcare center or a big football stadium, and you took all of the data attached to that you could possibly think of, it's still not a lot of data right? It's still not the kind of data you need for cancer genomics or the fusion lab at Lawrence Livermore. It's manageable platform data. Second thing that is happening is the anomaly detection, the random forest work, or the pattern matching ML math that you need to manage that medium bucket of data. That's all turning into Lego, right? Take a look at uh, Amazon SageMaker. It's absolutely brilliant. Second year student can train up ML models. So the realization that the really deep end of the pool of AI, like beating the Korean Go champion 
or winning Jeopardy, that's really, really difficult AI, right? That's 20 layers of machine learning feeding off each other, really complicated. But the real world is not like that. The real world is much smaller data sets, much more manageable, and I can apply AI Lego to it. So if only I could get that data and I had somewhere on the edge of the network to run AI, I could now start doing smart AI in real time for my factory floor, for my distribution center, for my healthcare center, for my city, for my stadium. And guess what? 5G has compute at the edge that will, uh, that will let you do that. So again, I think operations, customer engagement start to become proactive, preventative, pattern matched, peer connected, precise, predictive, because I've got AI uh, at the edge in, in real time. And again, it's pretty simple Legoized AI. Even the AI that I need to take a camera, do the machine learning and tell you that that circuit board has a defect or that shelf is not stacked the way it should be or that inventory is going down. So I think that uh, that's going to really change things. A great example is think about you've got two hospitals. One's implemented 5G and AI at the edge and sensorized their hospital and it's the entire environment is proactive and precise and preventative and predictive uh, and pattern matched. And then you've got the old hospital. Which one do you want to go to, right? Or which one do you want to operate? Which one do you want to invest in? I'm talking to the board of a big financial institution um, next month. I'm talking to somebody on the risk committee because they're saying, hey, if we don't adopt this suite of technologies ahead of our competition, and they do, and they manage their operations in those seven Ps way, or their customer engagement in the seven Ps way, or both at the same time, we're not going to make it up on net interest margin. We will lose. And that's the risk committee in a company doing financial services. So that's very, uh, very confirming for me. Um, and, and just, again, another reason why it's the, the most exciting time I've seen in tech. So before we push forward, maybe a short break for you to explain the seven Ps. Uh, take us through a very basic, uh, you know, uh, one-on-one course of what are the seven Ps and what, what is the uh, concept and what, what does it mean? All right. So we did, over several years, did, did some analysis. Um, and some of this even started before I, I got to uh, Verizon. Looking at how technology is changing, right? And, and the, the five big technologies, again, being next-gen cloud, where does containerization take us, 5G and edge, AI uh, becoming Legoized and pervasive, IoT, and then the whole realm of XR, you know, AR or VR. And we looked at what, what does that really do? And it enables platforms like intelligent video, like AI at the edge, like really responsive real-time AR and VR training. And we said, okay, if you really use these and you have it at the edge, what happens? How do, how do your operations improve? How does customer engagement improve? How does customer lifecycle management improve? And we distilled all of that down into those seven Ps, that that's the nature of your, uh, where your operation goes, right? To be precise and pattern matched and peer connected and preventative and predictive. And that's just a way to tell the story that 
because if you talk to a, an operations person who runs, say, a FedEx hub or uh, a CPG manufacturing or a giant healthcare center, what those translate into is my operations have less defects, they're higher quality and lower cost structure, right? Which is the, the nirvana of I lowered my cost structure and I improved my output. That knocks onto the customer side improved output uh, with less defects at a lower cost also ends up giving the customer a better experience because they don't see as many defects as they did or, or, or variations. And then I use those same technologies to be proactive and preventative and precise and pattern matched with my customer, right? I've, I've been to Newark Airport a thousand times. You know how many times it said, hey, Toby, welcome back. Uh, you're actually 15 minutes early, so here's a coupon for Starbucks. It's on your way to gate 53. Zero, never, right? With that technology, how hard would that be? And what's the revenue upside and what's the cost structure? So, so it's terrifying to some businesses to think that the competition could have a better, higher quality set of operations at a lower cost and better customer lifecycle engagement because that's your entire business. I, I had help on two of the P's from Timothy Chu, who's the genius cloud IoT professor at Stanford, uh, used to run cloud at, uh, at Oracle, one of the Kleiner Perkins uh, uh, early stars uh, in the startup world, and John Sfiocla, who was a professor at, uh, at Harvard Business School, who wrote some seminal works on IoT, kind of bouncing ideas together, so they helped pull those together, but, but it's just a way to tell that story about, look, this is radically going to change your uh, business. The people in Davos refer to this as the fourth industrial revolution. What people forget about the last ones is it was a cycle of creative destruction that included a lot of destruction. There were companies that did not make it, that did not make the change. So, so long answer to your question, but that's kind of what uh, that story is about, right? And when you talk to business people about improving your customer leverage and your customer engagement and your lifecycle value and lowering your cost structure, what's better than that, right? That's what I run a business for. Yeah, so very true. So we covered uh, IoT and we touched briefly um, the new reality of AI become commoditized. Walk me a bit about the, what you mentioned as the XR, the AR, VR. Uh, why, why do you see this as something uh, fundamental? If I can marry an understanding of you in your job on the factory floor or you as a customer at my stadium in real time to a little bit of intelligence with this device that has a camera in I can give you all kinds of AR pop-ups that are truly useful to you in your job or in your customer experience. I can also give you real-time VR experiences to bring an expert in with you or to train you in a simulated real-world environment. Two little silly facts that, that help sell this, right? But before I go there, if you don't have really good network response time, uh, if I have to be tethered in a room to do this, you lose all kinds of opportunities, right? You can't be in a tethered environment out on the factory floor or in the hospital or as a customer at Newark Airport or at the football stadium. So you need the, net, you need the network to do that, but you need 
really low latency and really fat bandwidth. And fat bandwidth is so I can send you really rich, uh, engaging things. We're doing an amazing thing uh, with surgeons and uh, an MRI scans floating in the air as they're doing uh, uh, surgery. But if it, the, the real trick is the latency. If your eyes, uh, your, your visual cortex gets out of sync with your motion uh, sensing because the latency is off, your brain literally thinks that you've been poisoned. When you get poisoned, those two systems in your brain get out of sync. When your brain thinks you've been poisoned, guess what it does? What's the body's reaction to poisoning? You throw up, right? So I'm not the best product guy on earth, but if your product includes an, oh, by the way, this will make you throw up, probably not going to sell a lot of those. So you have to get the really low latency to get that done. So now we have networks that'll do the massive bandwidth and the low, uh, the low latency, these things are capable. So let me give you my two, silly, uh, my two silly examples. I was on stage at the Bernstein Conference in New York and with some hedge fund guy doing a, a, a panel. And, and I mentioned that AR is really gonna become uh, pervasive. He goes, that'll never happen. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I said, look, I got one example for you. Pokemon Go, right? Not super interesting not useful for the enterprise, not even fantastically good technology, 50 million users in 19 days. Now imagine I make it intelligent and it, it knows you get the AR pop-ups that Avishai really, really values. I know by the way, your boss has told you this is the way we do work in the future and it helps you. You're the pick and pack guy uh, in, in the sort at a distribution center and it's really helping you with these pop-ups or you're the new guy and you really need to know how the safety elements of this machine works. All of those things. What's the adoption curve on that? If I can get a 50 million users in 19 days on crazy Pokemon Go, what else can I get? And then VR training. Uh, the data coming out of Stanford is, uh, and there are some very big companies, or we're using it a little bit. There's some very, very large Fortune 10 companies already doing this. There's some proof points. Because you're inside an immersive environment, you experience the training, which is very different than me sitting in the back of a classroom watching a PowerPoint going, okay, I sort of get this. It's the difference between doing it and hearing it. So the training looks like it's three times more effective and it's four times cheaper because I'm not flying people in and then I can do little training nudging things. Now, again, I'm not the best product guy on earth, but if my product is 12 times better than yours, I can sell that, right? Four times cheaper, three times, uh, three times better. So those are my two little anecdotes about AR and VR that I think become pervasive, right? It, it makes your, your building and your environment uh, intelligent. You get recognized. Um, you go to Disney parks. Why, why don't you have a little treasure chest of digital assets that you bring back with you? Why don't you leave little reminders that, you know, like this stand has a hot dog that's the best in the world, right? Leave that for your friends, leave it for your peers. I, I think the whole world is going to get instrumented and layered. There'll be little companies that pop up to help manage that and make it, you know, not a sea of post-it notes, but I really think, I really think that worked. I had a meeting in my little attic office here a couple of weeks ago with two avatars, I put on my um, HoloLens glasses, 
The two guys were standing right here. As they moved around the room, the sound moved with them. We were all drawing on one whiteboard floating in the air. We were all putting post-it notes on it. We were all interacting in real time. Now they were just, you know, rough avatars, but they were about the right size and they were in the right position. We're moving around and we're talking and go, hey, what do you think about this? 20 minutes into it, we were just having a meeting. We were taking things off our screen and putting them in the air for the three of us to share. One was in Berlin, one was in London. I was in my attic here just west of New York. And that's just the beginning of what you can do with that. So, so yeah, now we've cleared the hurdle that I can get AI at the edge, that sort of intelligence and a network that can do, you know, real time AI. I think this becomes, uh, I think this becomes hugely, uh, hugely valuable. Fascinating and very, very, um, you know, eye-opening. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Charlin, directly on LinkedIn. 